Hey, Merry Christmas. Uh, you're still a little bit tired there. Merry Christmas. There we go. It's only a week away. We got to get it on here, right? So, uh, Merry Christmas. Great to have you with us and, uh, great celebration this morning. Uh, you can't go wrong when you put 80 kids in front of people, right? And, uh, it's a blast to watch them. They were well prepared and, uh, I love when they're singing powerful worship songs to the Lord as well. What a cool moment. So, um, this past week, uh, this past week I had a lot of sickness going on in me and in our household. Uh, so there was a, I started out with strep throat a week ago and, uh, started getting some penicillin on that. And then the head cold thing, I completely lost my voice Monday, started getting a migraine headache and, and, uh, I know it's going around a lot. Most of us in here are like me too, right? And, uh, so this on Monday afternoon, I was getting ready. We had our Christmas party for our staff Monday night. And so I went downstairs in the basement because there was no light down there. I had such a drilling headache. Have you ever had that where it's close to migraine and just the light makes your eyes hurt? You know what I mean? So I went downstairs in the basement, lights off, put the blanket over my head, had the phone in my hand in case John rang because I didn't want to have to get up and walk anywhere. And uh, I ended up talking to her on the phone and just a light whisper because, you know, if you talk loud, it makes it ring in your head and it hurts. You know what I mean? And uh, so I'm talking to her on the phone and she's like, you should take that medicine, the one that Megan took. And uh, I remember Megan taking that medicine. It went something like, oh, gross. That stuff is horrible. Every drink. This is disgusting. I'm like, I don't want that. Like, I've already feel bad enough. I don't need that on top of it, you know? And so she said, just take it. And yeah, yeah, okay. And uh, so I laid on the couch there for a little while. And, and Johnna got home. And uh, she came downstairs. She's like, you still feel bad? I said, yeah. And she goes, man, that medicine works faster than that. When did you take it? <laughs> I, uh, I didn't. I didn't take it. I'm fessing up right now. I did not take the medicine. She goes, Timothy David. <laughs> Just so you know, when your middle name is used in our home, that's a moment. You know what I mean? And uh, so she storms upstairs to get the stuff. And it's like this hot, well, it's actually warm. So lukewarm, um, sewer lid tasting, <laughs> nasty. And I hear her making it up there. So, uh, so I hid. <laughs> I did. It's real. So yes, my daughter's Facebook post about me hiding was true. 90 likes. Thank you very much. Yeah. I did. I went and hid. I grabbed the blankets and I went around the corner and I sat down behind a chair and I pulled it up close and I leaned against the wall with the blanket over my head so that the light would not be in my eyes and so she would not see me. And I leaned against the wall and hung there for a little bit and I heard her come downstairs and she goes, okay, I've got it ready. And Timothy David, where are you? Right. And then she starts laughing as she begins to wander around playing hide and seek with me. And uh, she went the wrong way. It was good. And uh, she kept looking for a little bit. And then she goes, Alyssa. She goes, what? Help me find your dad. He's in the house, isn't he? He's hiding. He won't take his medicine. So, uh, so Alyssa started looking upstairs and Megan or Jana was looking downstairs and ended up finding me behind the chair comes over, pulls the chair away, and, and I lift the blanket up, and okay, I'm, I'm busted, now it's time. So she hands me the, this liquid, eight ounces. Are you kidding me? Eight ounces of this stuff. And I'm, 
Eight ounces. See my wife like, it's only this big. The cup was this wide. And uh, so, uh, so I started to sip it. And just the smell, I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding. And she goes, I have chocolate for you. If you drink it all, I'll give you the chocolate. How old am I, right? So, of course, I took the chocolate. I said, no, I need chocolate after every sip. So, so I take a sip and I'm like, oh. So I grab a little piece of the chocolate and chew it. I'm like, the chocolate's good. So I take another sip of the chocolate. And then Alyssa comes down and she's cracking up looking at this vision of her parents interacting. And I said, you taste it, Alyssa. And she's like, no thanks. Can I go Facebook this? Of course, Jonna says, sure, go ahead. As, uh, as I'm pounding the rest. I get done with almost all of it. I'm like there. And she goes, it's not all done. Uh I can't take any more. My hand is shaking. It's so horrible. And she's like, just drink the rest. I'm like, I pounded the rest, took the chocolate. And, and uh, strangely enough, I felt better in about 45 minutes. Uh, it did work really well, actually. Uh, yeah, it, it tends to uh, dry everything out, make you feel all better, took away the headache. In fact, it made me even a little on the happy side of life. Uh, it did. I'm not kidding. So uh, anyway, what's the whole point of that story? Uh, expectation. Expectation is everything. And uh, I heard my daughter, Megan, talking about how horrible this medicine was, and I wasn't about to take it. Expectation. And, uh, you know, we're walking through some passages on awestruck, being awestruck by our God, stunned by his greatness, taking a look at him in different facets of his character and just jaw dropped, stopped in our tracks, worshiping him, awestruck. That's the series we're in. So today we're looking at Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, this is a passage that was setting up expectation. Here's what you need to know about how awesome it's going to be to be with your Messiah, your Savior. Isaiah 9. So turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah 9. Hey, we got ushers coming forward and they got Bibles in their hands. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you. Isaiah 9. We're going to start with verse 1. And uh, we're going to walk verse by verse. So you're going to want a Bible. Just raise your hand. They'll get to you. All right. How should we respond to our king? What should we expect of him? And how should it affect us? Point number one, hope. Jesus' reign brings light, joy, and peace. Jesus' reign brings light, joy, and peace. So hope in him. Uh, we'll just start out chapter 9, verse 1. It says, but there will be no gloom, no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Uh, hope. There will be no gloom. It will be glorious. Those were awesome words to hear, especially as you read through chapters 1 through 39 and seeing all the nasty that was coming, the punishment that was due them. This book was being written about 700 to 750 B.C. in that area, and uh, they're talking about something that's going to be happening hundreds of years later. And it's amazing what God's talking about here. He says, no gloom, glorious. Uh, the anguish was there, but it's taken away. In fact, these guys, 
They were looking up to what had taken place in Israel. Israel had been taken captive in 732 BC. So there's a pretty strong thought that this was written after that because the names Zebulun and Naphtali, those are tribes in the nation of Israel. And they had been taken captive by Assyria. And, <coughs> and things were going bad, very bad. In fact, it says um, that in former time, he had brought contempt on that land. There was nasty judgment taking place. There were hard things happening. It says that he was making glorious in the future that way. Can you get some water ready for me, babe, please? Thanks. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Can you tell I need a little bit of my medicine still? Yeah. I have it. Thanks. So, um, so he says, <coughs> yeah, these things are uh, they're going to go well for you in the future. In fact, it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. The difference between light and darkness. Have you ever been groping, like in the middle of your basement, looking for something in the dark, and the light bulb is out, and as you're wandering around looking for, and you kind of know where things are at, and you forget you had moved something, and you kick it with your foot, and you're like, oh, man. And the difference between light and darkness like being able to see where you're at and get the vision in the picture. And uh, he's saying, I'm telling you, you're going to be in light. You're going to grasp it. You're not going to be in darkness anymore. It says also the benefit, you have multiplied the nations, you have increased its joy. Uh, there's going to be an opportunity for the nations to say, not only do we have more children multiplied, but we have more property. Got at work. <coughs> have you ever seen... Uh, after someone has a baby and, and the celebration that takes place. Have you ever seen the joy on the faces as they hold high their child and they ask you to hold them and care for them and nurture them? And that's one child. Imagine a nation of more children. That's what he's talking about. A nation of more children. And, and then on top of that, more than just the children, it says, and they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Celebration at the time of harvest. Farmers, they plant and then they hope. They wait for God to do the work now. Uh, we've done all we can do to till the soil and set it up. But now we need rain and we need sunshine. And we need God to care for and nurture this to deliver it. And in the end when that happens, we celebrate that God has done a mighty work. God at work. In both the nations multiplying and the property multiplying and the harvest crops, they were glad when they divided the spoils at the end of the harvest season. They were celebrating. That was something they were mandated to do, to celebrate the harvest that they took. He's saying, get ready. God's going to do a mighty blessing through this Messiah. And you're going to have an awesome celebration harvest. Peace. It says the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, they broken on the day of Midian. There will no longer be hardcore oppression, but instead freedom. That's what's going to be going on. The yoke, you know, the thing you put on the ox to do the work. Broken. Like he's saying the heavy load will not be on you. The rod of the oppressor whipping you, beating you to get you in line. Gone. Everything 
will be broken. It says, as in the day of Midian. You know, if you look back and you look up the Midianites, there was a huge victory over the Midianites. It was when Gideon, the judge in Judges 6 and 7 comes forward. And uh, he, along with just 300 people, take on the Midianites and they defeat them. So what's being said here? It's being a, a small, a seemingly small and yet absolutely monstrous power will be coming against them. And there will be hope in the one, but victory over the mass. That's what he's talking about, the day of Midian. And he's saying there's victory because of God Almighty and none other, the day of Midian. And it's going to bring peace and joy and prosperity and hope. And it's going to be awesome what's coming. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. No longer needed for war. Just make fire with it. Enjoy some family time and some cooking. Uh, God's blessing the nations. The Messiah is going to bring peace and hope and joy. It's going to be awesome what we have in our king. You know, we need to learn to use the word S-O-O-O-O-O-O-O-O. Right? You've heard me say that before if you've been around for a while. So... Like as you get to know your God, that's how God works. He is so incredible. He is so giving. And God is so knowledgeable of what I need. And that's the word we need to be able to say over and over in our lives. Watch for it. You know God's at work when you get to use that word. All right. Maybe we just practice it a little bit here. What's the word? So. Yeah, that's the word. And get ready for it. And the longer you carry the O's on the more in awe you are. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, God, you're stunning. And be ready to use that word. It's a simple word to point out, wow. Thank you, God, for what you have. He's saying, hey, there was a time of pain, but there will be an awesome time of peace and hope and joy and light with the Messiah coming. You know, uh, as we try to understand the, and grasp the darkness that was going on at the time, the, the transition that might be taking place. Uh, I was trying to figure out what dark element could we talk about. And uh, at one point I was going to bring up the Dust Bowl, 1930s, Kansas. But uh, we have something a lot more practical that came up Friday. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a Christmas celebration here, but let's be practical for a little bit too. Uh, as we celebrate the moment of our Savior, there's some real-world things going on. And God, how do you want us to process this? <clears throat> what do we do in the midst of tough times? And how do we put our hope in a coming Messiah? So here's a couple of thoughts. For those of you who weren't with us a couple of weeks back, we went through a, 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 a one-day sermon called In Awe of His Sovereignty. God in control of everything. And Go back and listen to that message. You can get it online for free with us. Just go check it out. <clears throat> Download that and check it out. But I'm just going to pull one thing out from it. And uh, that is we talked about how to boundary sovereignty, how to understand God in charge. But I want to do something more than that today. I, I, we talked about sovereignty as this mountain you climb of God. There's, you'll never get to the top. It's absolutely vast. And we try to climb and there's pieces we can understand. And that's his sovereignty. We'll get parts of it but not the whole, okay? And we'll, we'll understand pieces in time, but God will always be revealing more. That's his sovereignty, the top of an unclimbable mountain in many ways. 
let me tell you, the explanation of evil is up at that same cliff peak. Okay? And, and if you can't understand God's sovereignty, you'll never grab a solid explanation of evil. The 90 cent word for the day, uh, theodicy. That's your explanation of evil. How in the world do we explain God, a good God, in the midst of Friday's occurrences? And, uh, how does that work? So here's the thoughts, all right? You might want to write these down. Five poles in the tent. First of sovereignty and then of theodicy. They're like two tents that are side by side. In fact, maybe one big tent. Have you ever had one of those tents where you set up the tent and then there's also the awning that you set up out in front of it? You know what I'm talking about? And so you can actually camp under the awning. It's one of those giant tents with sovereignty and theodicy tied together. So here we go. First, God's sovereignty, five poles, it must be there. We've already talked about this a couple weeks ago, but for review, God is sovereign over all, not just some, over all. Uh, Isaiah 45, uh, you know, we said if you're not sovereign, if he's not sovereign over all, then he's not sovereign at all, right? There is no sovereignty if you're only sovereign over a piece, that's not sovereign at all. And Isaiah 45 says he's sovereign over the good and the bad. Everything in his hand and running through his hand. Everything. And some things he open and allows through his fingers. Other things he disallows and some things he causes. Those are the three things his hand does. Allow, disallow, cause. Everything in God's hands. Absolutely essential if we're going to understand this. Uh, how much is in his hand? Yeah, everything, all of it. Isaiah 45. Uh, secondly, though, God is good. God is, hey, if evil comes through his hand, maybe God's bad. And we better keep that in mind. God is good. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He is awesome in his goodness, loving and merciful and gracious and kind and tender and giving. And that's our God. Never lose that pole of the tent. Remember, if one of the poles comes down, your tent looks nasty. It collapses on a side, if not all the way down. Keep all these poles up when you're trying to come to an explanation. So God is sovereign over all. God is good. Number three, uh, we are sinners with choice and responsibility. Uh, we, as human beings, are sinners with choice and responsibility. We talked about Joshua 24, 15, right? He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. That was not a trick statement. They were to choose. It was a real call. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, believe and confess and you will be saved. We have choice and that choice has responsibility. Genesis 3, 14 through 19, awesome little statement there. God says, because you have done this, and then he meets out punishment to the serpent and to Adam and to Eve. There is responsibility in our action. Whatever explanation you try to come up with for God's sovereignty, remember, we as human beings have responsibility for our actions. Number four, we are called to be all about his glory, not about our comfort. All about his glory, not about our comfort. You've heard me say a million times, it's not about our comfort, it's about our king. And let's show Jesus Christ off with all we have. It's all about him. Our time on earth here, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, it's all about his glory. May God be shown off in your life. 
And as we process life, we process it through those lenses, we start to get a better, clearer grasp. Number five, God is a reconciling, conforming God. He conforms us to his image. Uh, Romans 8, 28. It says that uh, he will make sure that everything works together for good to them that love him, to them that are the called according to his purpose. And then it goes on to describe the good. It says it will be conformed to the image of his son. All right. That's the plan. You looking more like Jesus Christ. You putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your savior alone. No other hope but him. And then God, you have my heart. Now change me that I might look more like you, that you might be shown off. That's God's plan. Glorified as we're conformed. So God is sovereign overall. God is good. Uh, we are sinners with choice and responsibility. We're called to be all about his glory, not our comfort. And God is conforming us to his son. All right. That's sovereignty. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. So the tent's pretty well set up. God's got it all in hand and we get where we're headed and everything can be processed through that. Now, what do we do in the devastation of uh, 20 children being shot and six parents being shot? And, and six adults who are protecting these kids. And what do we do with that? And so our explanation of evil. This is where we go, all right? Again, we're going to put some poles in the tent. We can't describe every last little answer because God doesn't give you the full-out explanation. But here's what we have. Some poles in the tent of our theodicy, of our explanation of evil, all right? Number one, absolutely essential, must start here. Uh, God is our shepherd through the good and the bad. Hey, these first two, this is what you talk about when you're talking with someone who's experiencing it firsthand. When they're going through trauma, these first two are the ones you're going to want to have in mind, all right? God is our shepherd, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He provides for me. And then after the provision, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Right? Be careful. It doesn't say, Yea, though I walk around the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God is working in a broken world. And he's shepherding us in a broken world. And, and very real in it. And that's what it needs to be answering. Lord, you're in charge. You're my shepherd. First statement on our explanation of evil, God is our shepherd through the good and the bad. Number two, God does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Not for one moment does God rejoice about Friday. Are you hearing me? Don't mistake it. All things work together for good, Tim. Yeah, they'll work together for good because God is amazing. But in that moment of expression of sin, God is not happy. That is not where we are. God's not celebrating sin ever. That's not our God. God does not rejoice in wrongdoing. 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Right? It's the love chapter describing what love is. And remember, God is love. So 1 Corinthians 13 is describing the very embodiment of our God. And... uh so as you're talking with someone devastated by hurt, and remember, you have an active shepherd in your life, and he loves you. 
Great message. Number two, God does not celebrate the wrong and the sin in this world. He loves you and he's nurturing you through a broken world, not around it. The Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want. That's the first two points. Hear me now. The next couple of points are not points you go to with someone who's in the middle of devastation. Everybody hear me? Like I need heads nodding. Everybody hear me? The next couple of points are hang on, hold on, be a little patient. Uh, when they're in the middle of weeping and, and, and grieving and you, you weep with them. You don't teach them theology. All right. Everybody got that? These are moments where you pray with them and you hurt with them and hang on. And let them express, be patient. There's a time where they will get, and you'll know it, you can hear it. They're beginning to ask questions that could handle an answer. And that's when you begin to lean in a little bit. At first, it's just your God loves you and he's there for you. And he is not happy with the sin that just went down. All right? Number three, God sees all sin as horrifying offense, not just some sin. This is a big deal. In your explanation of evil, God sees all sin as horrifying sin, not just some sin. And why does that matter? Because somehow we woke up on Friday and went, oh, and we became horrified by the tragedy of sin. But the tragedy of sin exists every single day in each of our lives as it derailed us and moved us away from our Savior King. And it wasn't about his holiness and it was all about my selfishness and God sees all sin as tragic sin, devastating, high impact sin. And uh, yes, there are more immediate consequences to some sin. Uh, Friday is a great example of that. But uh, God does see all of it in light of the devastation. Psalm 5, 4, if you want a verse on that. Number four, this is the one I love. You've heard me go off on it a number of times. God has a bigger plan than stopping one sinful or or harmful evil event. That's a bigger plan than stopping one event. He is going to stop it all. That's our king. Jesus Christ is going to put all evil in its place once and for all. Good spot for an amen. You know what I'm saying? Like our king is going to reign for all eternity and nothing is going to stop that. Jesus Christ putting evil in its place once and for all. That's our perspective. Eternal. And God's got a plan. And he's working through this broken world. And hang on because he's shutting it down. Just give him time. And man, you want to learn to hate sin? Just spend a little bit of time watching TV today when you get home. And you see the stories of what sin can do. And the devastation of what it can cause. And we're living in a land that is experiencing the grief of sin. You hear me? Praise God, we have an answer. Revelation 19 through 22, if you want passage on that. Man, I love reading Revelation 19. As Jesus in heaven, and, and he's been sitting back patiently, and then he finally stands up, and everybody stops. And they're looking. All right, this is my paraphrase in between a couple of verses. And they're looking, and they're watching. 
and he gets a mount. He brings the horse over and he mounts it. And the place erupts and says, it's on. Our king is coming. And with a myriad of people on their horses storming down with Jesus Christ, this place will once and for all be put physically under the king of kings rule. And all of God's people said, that's our savior in charge. I'm telling you, God's got it in hand, fully in hand. Watch him work. Got it work in this place. Hate the evil. Love the answer. Jesus Christ. Last one. His ways are not our ways. Deuteronomy 29, 29. His ways are not our ways. Uh, it's a mystery. You're like, mm, I would have stopped Friday if it were me. Uh, that's what I would have done. And uh, I get that statement. But I'm telling you, God's doing something and we don't get what it is. And so here's our risk. We often can say, I must be more merciful or more loving or more gracious than God Almighty. No, we're not more merciful. We're not more gracious. We're more blind in that moment. You hearing it? When we think we know better than God, we're missing it. And God's doing something. And I don't know what it is. And, And hear me. Those words will never be satisfying. When you're sitting down in the moment talking to that parent who's lost a child. Please don't bring those words. Uh, Bring these words. We have a shepherd who's with us through the good and the bad. And God's got it all in hand. You lean with him and I'll be praying over you with all I've got. Got it work. All right. And so if we want to understand a land ridden with sin. Well, we've got one. If we want to understand what it looks like to have devastation around us, well, we've got a great example right before us. This is the things that he was alluding to when he said the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Well, it's been going through it. And Lord, the promise of hope is coming. A promise of hope. Our answer is to taste and see that the Lord is good. We have hope in a coming Messiah and in a a replacement of sin and a done with all that, this place being perfect. Here's what I love, joy. We say it's uh, despite the circumstances, right? You know why we say that? Because the circumstances stink. Do you know what I'm saying? This place is broken, but there's going to be a point in time where the circumstances are awesome and they're in complete alignment with our almighty king. And as the circumstances are in alignment with his greatness and as we worship him with all we have, can you imagine that place? No sin, no pain, absolute joy, not a tear to be wiped away. Everyone celebrating absolute satisfaction. That's what's coming. Hope in our amazing coming Messiah. That's our almighty God. So here's my question for you. Are you putting your hope in him? I mean, right now, right here, are you saying, Lord, you're my everlasting hope? Not God, please change the circumstance. Not Lord, please reduce the pain. But Lord, you're my hope. And and that's where we need to be. 
Like if right now you've been hoping in something else, set it down. It's less than God Almighty. And pick him up. Hope in Jesus Christ. That's where they were coming from. From absolute devastation in the land. Looking up and forward to their Messiah, Savior. His coming in peace and joy and light and love. And the oppression done. Praise be to God. And all of God's people said. That's the first point. And if we want to grab Isaiah 9, and we know verses 6 and 7 pretty well probably, but if we want to grab Isaiah 9, we need to grab onto, Lord, may you be glorified as you change this place from broken to on fire for you. Second point, worship. Worship. Jesus' reign is marked by five powerful prophetic truths. Jesus' reign is marked by five powerful prophetic truths. So worship him with all you've got. We're just going to jump in here to verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. There are five truths here about the Messiah. You've heard them all before. Be careful. Don't fall asleep on it. Don't drift. This is why we celebrate Christmas. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And uh, I got to tell you, this is a big deal that Christmas has hope that the coming of our savior, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what it's all about is a son given in the flesh. Yes, God, fully God. Yes, man, fully man. That's our savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 11, some 740, 750 years later, Luke 2, 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. For unto you is born this day. I'm telling you, the angels saw Isaiah 9, and they're like, I can't wait for that day. Can you imagine how they pounded that message forth when they beamed on the hillside to the shepherds? And said, unto you is born this day, the Messiah, man. That's what we're talking about. Your hope is here. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. John 3.16 then says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Our hope is in our Savior Jesus and nothing else. Please be careful. Don't put your hope in works. Don't put your hope in works before Christ. Like, I don't know him. I'm just going to try to be good enough. Or or maybe you're like, no, I've accepted Christ as Savior. Now I'm trying to earn keeping it. Right? Galatians 3. What? You earned it by the, you got it by the Spirit. Now you're going to try to earn it by the flesh? Drop that. It's from the Holy Spirit, God Almighty. He holds you in place. He's got you. Don't earn it to get it. Don't earn it to keep it. It's all about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lift him up as your hope, as your truth. Lord, I have nothing without you. I have everything with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Praise be to God. The first and awesome promise is that the Messiah will be born a baby. Normal flesh baby. 
just like you and me, except not. Know what I'm saying? Uh, the fully God part, not so much us, right? But fully mankind, got that full flesh thing. Second promise. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. All governments everywhere reporting to Jesus Christ. Not in the future, right? It says the government shall be. But listen to this, Matthew 28, 18, when Jesus is talking, he says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Done. Past tense. Perfect past tense. It's over. Given to me in the past and mine. Jesus in charge spiritually. Jesus ruling over all governments and authorities everywhere. Yes in the future. Yes now. Christ reigning. First Corinthians 15 says, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power that's in rebellion to him. He's putting it all in line. Christ has everything under him and everything runs through his fingers. He is the absolute authority and rule. And uh, you notice today the title of the series or of the sermon is In Awe of His Authority. Jesus Christ, yes, in a manger, and yes, as a baby, and yes, there's little statements we have about the Christmas story and about don't lose sight. That's our king. That's our almighty God, humbling himself and becoming a man for our hope and our future. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Jesus Christ. Notice it says then... uh, And his name shall be called. And his name shall be called. Uh, These are his throne names. All right? So these are the names given him as he rules. His throne names. All right? So how many of you have ever seen uh, the musical, The Messiah? Have you seen it? Heard it? Two of you. Seriously. The Messiah. You with me? All right. And and so the beginning of it... uh, There's this phrase that goes, wonderful counselor. You're all waiting for me to sing it. It ain't happening. (laughs) It isn't happening. But wonderful counselor, right? And it's separated by a gap. Have you noticed that? Like wonderful and counselor. Like they're two different words. Why did he do that? Yeah, I don't know either. (laughs) I don't know why he did it. So I looked in the original language. This is what it is. Okay, just so you know. Wonderful counselor, a little bit of grammar lesson here. So the word counselor in the English is the noun there, right? And wonderful is like an adjective. Like he's a counselor. He's a really good one. Wonderful, right? That's not what it says in the original language. It says one who causes wonder. Counseled. That's what it says in the original language. One who causes wonder. Counseled. Like when you take a good hard look at Jesus Christ... Wow, that's him. And then he counsels. He gives advice and wisdom and every piece of advice he gives will absolutely put you in the exact right spot. One who causes wonder, counseled, wonderful counselor. That's what that actually means. His next throne name, mighty God. There isn't a thing he can't do, right? That's why Ephesians 3 has so much hope. Uh, Whatever you can think, Whatever you can dream up and pray up, just so you know, he can do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. You can only say that when he is the almighty God, nothing more powerful than him. Christ can deliver, period. That's our king, almighty God. 
Uh, Everlasting Father. Uh, He is going to exist from eternity past to eternity future. And what's with the name Father attached to him? Well, two pieces to that. One we know is there's unity amongst the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus acts as the Father wills him to. And, And so as he interacts in our lives, we're getting the will of the Father expressed into our lives. Everlasting Father. But it's more than that. This is a sense of him being daddy to you. Caring for you. Nurturing you. As you go through your daily life. His throne, while mighty and lofty is personal and familial and warm and tender in your life. That's our almighty king, Jesus Christ. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That means under his rule, complete peace. That's what's coming, man. We have an unbelievable promise of the thousand year reign and then eternal heaven after where peace is at hand. Christ reigning over all. Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Prince of Peace. That's our God. It says, of the increase of the government and of peace, there will be no end. This is the fourth promise. No end, constant and eternal. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice And with righteousness, I'm telling you, his throne is going to grow and grow and grow. And righteousness and justice are at the center of it. No one saying, how dare he? How unfair of him? But everybody saying, how awesome. I am in wonder and awe of him. That's my king. And the last one, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God wants it. God wills it. God will make it happen with power and authority. And here's what I wrote down. Revelation 21 verses three and four. What will it taste like? What will it be like? God will dwell with man and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Our God reigning, Prince of Peace. No greater hope than him in charge in our lives. Hey, our job, we have one thing to do. Set it down. I guarantee you every moment of every day you're wrestling with saying, I'm in charge. Lord, help me to set it down and make you in charge in my life. Lord, I want to worship you. Lord, I want to praise you. Lord, I want you celebrated in my life. You are the almighty king of kings and Lord of lords. You've got my attention. Man, in this Christmas season, my request to you is this. Hope in your coming Messiah. Hope in him. Worship him. Give him your all. Our king has come. And our king is coming again. And all of God's people said, let's pray.